Blog Talk Radio. Radio Show. We invite you to call in 515-605-9325 and participate in this daily think tank as we examine the challenges we face and develop solutions that restore peace and harmony. We are global transformers, changing the world from the way it is to the way it should be. We are one. Wherever we I'd live, like to listen, a reading. we to are all one of our family, whenever and wherever you may be listening around the world. To our family in China, Ni Hao, in India, Namaste, in Japan, Konnichiwa, in Korea, Annyeonghaseyo, in Russia, Zastutsie, in Germany, Guten Tag, in Poland, Dzień in France, Bonjour, in Spain, Hola. In Italy, Ciao. In Egypt, Asenwasaven. In Ghana, Akwaba. In Nigeria, Peleo. In South Africa, Saubona. In Senegal, Nangadet. In Kenya, Jambo. In Israel, Shalom. In Pakistan, Afghanistan, Palestine, and Saudi Arabia, Assalamu alaikum. And may peace be upon you all. Join us live on the On Air Radio Network. Call 727-731-5192. We want to talk to you. Yes, indeed. We want to talk to you. So that's why we're here every Sunday night. 8 to 10 on Soul Purpose Healing. I'm Viata, your host. I have a fabulous, fabulous guest guest tonight. My guest has so much experience. I want you to call in and ask him some questions because he's got a lot of knowledge up here and a lot of experience, 
We're going to talk about international affairs, something many people don't even think about. So join us, join us tonight. I don't know why uh, Facebook is reminding me uh, about something when I couldn't even get in on Facebook. Anyway, we're back, we're back. So thank you so much for being here tonight. And we're going to drum in with Becca Shea. My guest uh, has not arrived yet. So let's do some drumming. I was listening to some fabulous drumming earlier. Eric, Brother Eric, was invited me to a blog talk show, and all I, all they were doing was drumming for probably about an hour. It was like a three-hour show. So it was amazing. But we do that, too, here on Soul Purpose Healing. So let's get your drums, and let's drum in with Becca Shea. Becca Shea is a Christian artist, but she has a Native American energy and a Native American flair to her music, and she talks about unity, unity, unity. So let's drum in some unity for tonight with Becca Shea. So here we go. Well, we are the fun, there's a 
All right, we're here on this February 18th, which comes to one, it's a one for unity, 2-18-2024 equals a one. I think I got those numbers right tonight, Mama AZ. So we are here rolling around on the number one tonight, and um, we're going to talk a lot about international affairs tonight. And I have invited a very special guest. I'm so grateful that Rabbi Cohen is joining me tonight. Let me just tell you a little bit about Rabbi Cohen, Dr. Shalomim Halahawi. I think I got that right. He is an integrative physician. He's a Hebrew Rafa. He's a medical inventor and an author. He's a busy, busy young man. So uh, let me see if he's in the studio. I do, I do, I see him in the studio. So let me bring him in. I don't want to delay because this is probably going to be a long conversation. Good evening. Shalom, shalom, Dr. Rabbi. And who is this beautiful sister with you? Shalom, shalom. This is my beautiful wife, Shomer Halewi. Shomer Halewi, beautiful. How are you tonight? Thank you. Shalom. I'm doing well. We're doing good. Great, great. It is raining, still raining. I think when I talked to you, I was talking about it's raining, it's still raining. <laughs> I love it. Nice and sunny today. I don't know if you've heard this song on uh, YouTube. This little African boy is singing, thank you for sunshine, thank you for rain, thank you for joy, thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day, yay, yay, yay. And my seven-year-old grandson introduced me to that song. And I played and played, and I tried to play it for them. They're like, oh, that's enough, Grandma. That's enough. We've heard it enough times. But I wake up singing that song because the rain, we need the rain, and we need the sun, and we need all this pain, even the pain. I've had one person who heard that, and that line about thank you for pain really got him. Absolutely. That's kind of hard to sing about, right? Right. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. We've been trying to get you on here for a little bit, a couple of weeks. But as I was, you know, I said it's been a year, almost exactly a year that you were on. I didn't realize it was that long. I'm telling you, it is going by low so fast. And look at what has happened in one year. Absolutely. Are we being are we be, are we in class big time? This is boot camp, serious boot camp here on earth. <laughs> really, really, absolutely. I'm trying to keep a sense of humor. I watch YouTube all the time because at my I'm in my late sixties and I'm I, every day I want to learn something new. I know about you, doctor, but I'm I'm learning something new every day. And YouTube to me is the best place to learn. I just type in. I don't know about this. Let me see about this. So yeah. I have learned since. October 7th, I've learned so much about that little place called Israel, Israel. It just blows my mind. And I I went to Israel about, it's been about 10, 15 years ago. My my ex-husband was working there for Delta Airlines. And he was in a five, four-star hotel. And for two weeks, I'm like, I need to go to Israel now while I can. So I had a free trip to Israel walked along the Mediterranean. It was surreal. It was surreal because I was a I was a Hebrew Israelite at the time. So I was learning a lot of the language and I just wanted to see the place. 
so I want I'm excited to have you share with our guests tonight your knowledge and experience because it's rare that a man of dark skin, melanin man, has so much experience in that little bitty place called Israel. And there's a lot of people who are so ignorant about that place. And yet I want to we want to bring out tonight the significance of knowing what is going, the hell is going on over there, because it is right. significant. So, no, Rabbi Cohen, I'm going to give the mic to you to, if you would share with our guests, some some of them don't know you, if you could just share a little bit about your family, because you your family was born over there. So tell us about your family, your childhood, a little bit about that. Okay, well, first of all, one of the reasons why, uh, I come out of such you uh, aware and has many people from different cultures and everything. Uh, it says unique and who I am, my background and everything is because uh, I decided to take a different approach with life than the Ethiopian and Mizrahi Jewish communities. Most, most Ethiopian and Mizrahi rabbis usually just cater only to their own people and, you know, they stay in the background. So you don't usually see, I mean, it's a, it's a bunch of Ethiopian Jewish rabbis, and it's also, and it's actually more priests than it is rabbis, because the uh, the Kes, also known as, uh, which is the Kohan, and the Rabbi Kohan, which is the Aramaic or high priest, um, they've always been the leaders of the Mizrahi and, and Beta Israel. Oh, really? Um, long before his, um, Israel was ever established and everything, for the past 2,000 years, uh, Ethiopians, Ethiopian Jews have always been, Led by the Levitical priest, the cat, called the cat. So I just took a different approach. I was always a little rebel growing up, anyways. Um, and my elders thought it was just a bad idea and everything because I wanted to go and just, I wanted to talk to the Hebrew Israelites. They were like, absolutely not. I wanted to uh, go and interact with the Christians. They're like, be careful. And then I started wanting to, you know, venture out and talk to the, and get the, uh, more, talk to Palestinians and everything because I have Arab ancestry as well. Just Arabs in our family from Oman, Southwest Arabia, um, and everything. But my family, the, both both of my family, because um, I have Jewish ancestry on both sides, or, or, or ethnic, I'll say ethnic Jewish ancestry, and it'll be explained why I'm saying ethnic Jewish ancestry. Um, my uh, great great grandfather um, and grand um, and grandpa, my great grandfather was a child. Um, a great aunt, great uncle, uh, uh, I mean, Carmela. And Yochanan, um, and my brother, I'm sorry, my grandfather, Joseph, were all children when they actually had to flee um, Palestine in 1885 from here on um, Asylum. But some of my family stayed back and everything because my family actually uh, was a, is a Levitical um, priestly family that actually had basically like rulers in Palestine at the time. But the Ottoman frequently did slaughters. The Ottoman, they, they, they fought a lot. They committed genocide against the, the Armenians and still want to be in denial about that. And they uh, did genocide against the Syrians, and then they did genocide against the Jews as well. So basically, because Ottomans are not Arabs. They, they, they were Islamic, but they're not Arabs. But they oppress Arabs, and they oppress Jews and everything. And the Ottomans are responsible for collaborating with the Europeans to transport people of um, Middle Eastern ancestry, both Ishmaelite and, um, and Jewish, down to um, Central and South America, which is why we have such a large Sephardi and Mizrahi community down there. Um, 
so, uh, so, but some of my family stayed behind. So my family was there long before Israel, this Israel came into existence, long before the Ashkenazim came and started to immigrate and everything and mass and everything. Um, we were there living um, side by side with the Arab, with our Arab brothers and sisters, Palestinian brothers and sisters. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the Palestinians that are in Gaza are actually ethnic Jews who just converted to Islam and Christianity just a few hundred years ago. So the people you see them being oppressed, the people you see them being slaughtered just because they practice Islam, Islam does not equal Arab. I don't, a lot of evangelicals, a lot of white people, a lot of African Americans over here, they always have that mentality that somehow, you know, Islam equals Arabs. I remember when Iran had to check Americans because they kept calling them Arabs. Iranians are Persians, and they're also Urdu, and a lot of them are actually Chaldeans. So, you know, there's different ethnic groups over there and everything, and a lot of them are. A, a lot of them actually have ethnic Jewish and ethnic Israelite ancestry from the northern tribes of Israel. People always say that there's a there's a, you know lost tribes of Israel, and I laugh at it because I'm like lost what we, we've been around, you just don't know about us, and the West just ignorant about who we are, but we've always existed. And for the most part, I'm light skinned in compared to most of the ethnic Jews. <laughs> Me and my wife, are, uh, you know, compared to ethnic Jews and everything uh, over in India. In Eastern Mesopotamia, Western Mesopotamia, and everything, where you see, you know, we come in different shades and different colors and everything, but uh, in Mizrahi and Ethiopian Jews, if you put them combined with the Yemenites and the Sephardi, we make up 85% of the total Israeli population and the total global um, global Jewish population. The Ashkenazi only make up less than 15%. And out of that 15%, percent of them genetically are not related to anything phonetic, they're converts. But, but the ones that are genetically related, uh, you have to go back and act, and it's complex. What I'm saying that what I'm what I'm saying today, I want everybody to take it with a grain of salt and and a, and a slight shot of vinegar and everything because it's just not blanket and everything because of all the complexities, the migration, the intermixtures, the intermarriages, the company packs and everything. Uh, so um, just you know, take this as a as a as a, as a base to build off of study more and everything, not as this is just solid and everything, but this is what I'm saying is factual. Um, I'm going to try my, try my best to do my, you know, try to outdo Putin in his history and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Doy, that was, that was, you watched, I watched that whole two hour interview because I'm fascinated by history too. And that was amazing. I was really amazed. And so I hear you. That's funny, but yeah. I mean, the man, the man has a memory. Go ahead. The man has a memory. Yeah, he, 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 he's def, definitely sharp and everything. And I was saying when I was watching, I was like, this man just upended me. He must have heard what I was planning on doing on this show because I was planning on doing the exact same thing. But I love <laughs> this thing. So, but, so oh, to get to this topic, you need to understand. Well, let me ask you one thing. Let me clarify something. Because what I'm hearing you saying is your great your great grandfathers go back to 1885. They were born in in the Middle East and left, and they left and came to the U.S. That's right, on Aslan. So your parents were born in the United States. That's correct. Okay, so you're a second generation uh, American. Correct. Yeah, but. Correct. 
how did you, did you hear by word of mouth some of the history of that that period that land, or did you just study it on your own? So my my um, grandparents taught me um, what they you know basically gave me the foundation of everything. Uh, when I was four or five years old, I knew about stuff that was going on in, in the Middle East in the eighties and everything. So I was always you know as I got older, I just studied more. Um, between the ages of 12 and 20, I was I was basically all I was, they would have to force me to go to bed because I didn't get yeah, three o'clock in the morning doing research and studying. So and so what type? So what did they insist on your education uh, as far as from a child? What were their thoughts, their beliefs about educating this young man, Rabbi uh, uh, Cohen? My great grandparents actually had always said that I was going to be. Uh, the next priest that was going to lead everything. That's what they. That's what they raised me and groomed me as, as a priest originally. Yes. And so when I was in elementary school, when I was in high school, I was of course I went. You know, I was amongst African Americans, and then I went to some school that was with white Americans. And I, I always stood out. Some teased me. Some you know were indifferent to me, and some uh, thought it was unique. But everybody always said, "You just." You know, preacher type guy. You know, they're, you know, like they don't know much about me being Israelite. So they feel they thought, you know, I, I came off as a preacher. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm gonna get my earplugs because I'm hearing a little static. I don't know if it's on my end of your, but I'm gonna get my okay. put put my earplugs on and see if that helps. Keep talking. Okay, keep talking about your your education, if you will. Oh, she want me to keep talking? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, the education-wise, um, I graduated when I was 16 years, 16 years old. Um, I graduated in 11th grade in high school. Uh, I started to go to college here. And ironically, I went, I went to Oral Roberts University. Um, oh, yeah. really? <laughs> That's a little twist there. <laughs> It was, it was general education. That's, um, that's good, though. That's really good. It, 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 that's a whole other story in and of itself. Um, I left there, and um, then I went uh, went on to get uh, work on my master's um, at the uh, um, Institute of Rabbinical and Hebrew Studies in Jerusalem, Israel, to get my master's um, in uh, rabbinical studies. After that, um, I went to the medical school. I uh, went to school in India. Also got um I got a uh, in India I got a doctor of uh, uh integrative medicine. Um then I went to Pakistan and extended that and got a um uh, got further um special family medicine um and uh primary care. Then I came back here to the United States and I went through uh Additional medical education, continuing medical education, um, with specialties in gynecology, obstetrics. I used to do natural childbirth, um, overseas, um, medical nutrition, uh, behavioral medicine, um, and Okay, so so you and you have how many? Do you have children? 
Wow, that's great. Um, and let, let me just say a little, ask a little bit about how did you meet your wife? Okay, okay, go ahead. Wow. Now, now do you, have you gone, have you been back, how many times have you been back to the Middle East in the last, say, 10 years or so? Wow. Now, now do you, have you gone? Have you been back? How many times have you been back to the Middle East in the last, say, ten years or so? Well, since uh, after uh, I graduated, after I graduated with my master's of clinical studies, um, my my organization and movement that I the highest rated for the God was birth after I saw a little Palestinian boy get shot while he was crying in his father's arms uh, by the Israeli military. And he died in his father's arms and he showed it on national TV. And so I said, that's not right. And so I started to speak out against it, which I ended up clashing with the Jerusalem Council. And because of the stance I was taking there day, it caused a lot of division. Even though they let me continue having my semester, I was excommunicated. But I was also banned from Israel under the threat that if I returned, I probably won't Mama, can you hear me? I, I can hear you. Can you hear me? You know what? They're telling me they can't hear you on Blog Talk Radio. Really? Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out what Can you hear me good? Uh, Dr. V. Yes. Hold on. Yes. So interesting. Can you hear me, Mama AZ? I can hear you, but I cannot hear him. Oh, shoot. Okay. Well, you can hear me back, right? I can hear Oh, you too. You on Facebook? I'm just on the call-in number. Okay, let me get back to my guest. Thank, thank you. Okay, they cannot hear you for some reason on Blog Talk Radio. So, um, I think what we're going to have to have you do is call in. Okay. Um, because I can I can hear you on, and, and people can hear you evidently on uh, probably something. I don't know. You know, I had so much trouble today with StreamYard and right. um, his says his voice is silent on Blog Talk. We can hear him on YouTube. So they can hear you on YouTube, but they haven't been in my join them and and i don't know why zelda our, our monday morning host says grand evening and light and soul and really enjoying the conversation but she's on youtube okay so well, that might just be a glitch with the, with the phone system then not us nothing on blog talk okay here we go again oh my goodness all right so let me see so they can hear it on other pages but not on blog talk right and I, okay wait a minute let me just make sure uh, okay, hold on. Hold. 
love them. They're, they're, they're cowards. Uh, the only ones I've seen that I respect right now are the Houthis and the Hezbollah. They're the only ones that are standing up, and they're the weakest out of all of these powers, but yet they're just willing to stand up for the Palestinians. So I love, I love them, but what has happened to the Palestinians, their community are cowards, and I'm going to explain why. But I need to go back some time and everything, and I'm probably going to end up having to explain it even after we go to break and come back, and we're going to have to talk some more about it. We have to go back and understand the origin of the Jewish people or the people who say they're Jewish or have used that term Jewish people and why we all blanketly, including Israelites, term Jewish and everything. And before the first century, we had under the Hasmonean dynasty, um, after uh, Ezra, this, of course, Ezra um, uh, rebuilt the temple the second time. Because Ezra and Nehemiah re- had rebuilt the temple. And the temple actually was burnt down. The temple was completely destroyed. Most of our biblical scrolls were destroyed. Um, only a branch of the Hasidim, who became known as Essenes, were able to preserve some of our most ancient scriptures. Ezra, on the other hand, had to actually go and get uh, get information from all the different tribes to be able to create what we have today known as the Tanakh. And of course, what we have today known as Tanakh is not what they had back then anyway. Which I, what everybody's reading over here is not is not our, is not even anywhere near our people's history, cultural writings. They're versions, and versions are not the original. Um, <clears throat> Then, of course, after Ezra and all of them rebuilt the second temple, I'm sorry, not Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt the second temple, Herod rebuilt the temple, the second temple. The temple you see over here, they call the uh, Solomon's Temple, the well, well, uh, well Wall. Herod, who's an Edomite, he's an Idumean, rebuilt that temple. And the rebuilding of the temple by the, by the Idumean king um, is where we start to see a shift and influence in our people's culture because we had the Hasmoneans and uh, the Hasmoneans were a priestly, kingly uh, dynasty. Uh, it's a priest king. The priest was the king and the king was the priest. That's actually the Torah. That's actually how the Torah is really supposed to be. The priest, high priest is supposed to be the king of Israel. It's not supposed to be a separate king and everything, but that's a whole other story. So uh, under the Hasmoneans, John Hypanus decided to go on an expedition and conquer Idumia and force them to convert to what we understand to be Judaism or Judeanism. He forced them to convert if they wanted to stay alive. So there was a mass conversion process of the Idumia. The Idumians did not worship the eternal creator. They worshiped this other deity. I cannot think of what it is at the moment, but they worshiped another deity. Okay, so the Idumians get massively converted. They actually form what is known as the Perusian party or the Perusian sect, as known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees became the most populous uh, sect and became the most influential sect for their teaching so-called liberalism or uh, liberal Judaism. And then you had the Essenes, who were ethnic Israelites that opposed them. And then you had the Sadducees, who are not descendants of Levites, they were descendants of Zadok. And Zadok, of course, was a Canaanite priest that was 
led to the Perusian becoming the largest party. And of course, Azumians brought their traditions in. Nothing necessarily wrong with their traditions, but they're called the traditions of the fathers. And those are the traditions that some of the prophets had a problem with and mentioned about the myths of men. Um, you hear in the New Testament, Yeshua arguing with these uh, Pharisees and people because they were trying to impose laws that did not exist in our culture and everything before. Now, oral law did exist. The oral law is, de is definitely mentioned in the uh, in Torah as being valid because that is that's statutory. You have to have statutory laws to make the Constitution work. Same with the United States. So let's go. So the Pharisees, the predominantly Adumians, there were a small sect of uh, a small sect of Pharisees that broke away that were that were Israelites and also had Levitical priests. Like for example, uh, Josephus, who wrote the complete works of Josephus. Thankfully, we had that he was able to do that. He was a Levitical priest, but he was also from the sect of the Perusians, which was a, and everything. And he actually leaned more toward the Essenes because there were things in common between the Perusians, the Essenes, and everything. So. During AD 70, when uh, after uh, the brother of Yeshua was assassinated, then when Yaakov Zadi was assassinated um, by Apostle Paul, as Sulu uh, Clementine I mentioned, that sparked the war between the Romans and the Judeans. The Pharisees, uh, the Essenes, all of them took up arms and fought the Romans. The problem that came in with this is that the Idumeans, who had the rabbis, decided to make a pact with the Romans to sell out the Israelite peoples and allow themselves to pass through and survive while the Israelites, the Essenes and everything, were decimated. They literally betrayed the Israelite peoples and everything and created rabbinical Judaism with the help of Rome. So our people end up being decimated in Jerusalem. And they, of course, they destroyed Jerusalem. They sent a lot of our people into slavery, all of that stuff, then everything, while the rabbinics, the Adumians, get to live on, protected under the Romans, and yet we continued, you know, a war for another 135 years. And some are doing enjoy. That's the fact and everything. So okay, let me, let me pause for a minute, um, because, you know, I was thinking about what you said, how they're cowards, Egypt, Jordan, and Turkey are cowards. And I don't know how many people know, but how, um, how that Israel is surrounded by these countries. Um, I'm going to just pull up, show them Egypt is right over here on, what is that, the south, south, uh, west side. Jordan is over here. And then uh, you got uh, Syria up here. Uh, and I don't know who's over here, up, up north of Syria. Is that Saudi Arabia? No. I'm not sure who's over there. But, I'm going to because I wanted to get to that, but we're jumping ahead a little bit. No, no, okay. So I just wanted to point out to everybody, you said that you think these Arabs are cowards, and Egypt, Jordan, and Turkey, and all of them are surrounding this place. So it almost, that, that seems to be the reason why the slaughtering is continuing. Well, we're going to get to that, trust me. Okay, so anyway, go ahead. Sorry. So we're still at where the Adumians sold out the Israelite people, the Essenes, and right. In Jerusalem. Keep in mind, we had a colony in Egypt. They were unaffected. We had a whole community in Ethiopia. They were unaffected because even Christian uh, Christian scholars have mentioned the, uh, the Ethiopian Jews and everything, and even described the ethnic Israelites as much 
just like Ethiopia. And then we had Israelites that were already uh, in uh, eastern Mesopotamia and India. So we've only seen a decimation of the people in Jerusalem, first and foremost. And, and it wasn't everybody. But the fact of the matter is that Dumian sold our people out and then took over our faith and culture and made themselves the moral leaders of our of our history and everything. Now, though the Dumians, of course, established what became known as Sephardi Judaism. And of course, Sephardi, uh, many of the European Sephardis will tell you that they come from Spain and that Sephardi means Spain, Spain was Sephardi. That's far from the truth. There's nowhere in history where Spain is called Sephardi. They are actually from the Jews that dwelt in Oman, in um, Sephardi. In the book of uh, Better Sheep, it talks about the Hebrews uh, who dwelt in um, Sephardi. Well, the Hebrews, both uh, that includes Edomians, that includes Ishmaelites, and that includes Israelites, because we're all Hebrew. All of us are the sons of Abraham, so we're all Hebrew. Um, and so that's where the, that's where the Sephardi community came from, because the Jews that lived in Sephardi and the Yemenites, which basically followed the same uh, branches of Judaism and culture and everything, uh, during the Moorish Empire, they actually went and started converting people in Europe to the, uh, that brand of Judaism, just as the Moorish were converting people to Islam. But going back, um, so after when biblical Judaism was established and everything, um, you had a separate sect of people it's all that, that lived in Iran, uh, known as the Skybians. Mm. The Skybians, as the complete works of Josephus and the Talmudic rabbis said, were synonymous with Ashkenaz, the, the Sumerians, the Gomerians. The Gomer, Gomer was the father of um, Ashkenaz in scripture. And um, also, uh, let's see, I said Ashkenaz, the Sumerians, and, yeah, and the Sumerians. They were, they were a, an Iranian people. They were not, Ashkenaz is not associated with white people, first of all. That's a lie. And the reason why is because Hamsham, as I said before, and I, I think I said this in the previous interview, Hamsham and Jephthah are not white, African, and Asian. Hamsham and Jephthah had the same father and the same mother, just like my children. So, and, and, and even the Talmud says that Shem, was dark and love. We talked. I said it was he was dark, but common, which is uh, my complexion to you and my wife's complexion. Um, it said that Ham was darker, like a raven, black like a raven, and said, but but, but Ashkenaz, I'm sorry, Japheth was white. Now, if you have two parents um, of the same culture and ethnicity produces children, and one of them come out as white, what is wrong with that child? He's just an albino. He's not another race. Now, just because he's an albino don't mean his whole genetic gene pool are all going to be albino. Right. So, of course, his children are, no, are most likely definitely going to look like uh, Ham's children and Jacob's children. There's going to be probably a different protection based off of who they marry. Right, right. They so, still need albinos in Africa. So. Right. So, Ham, Sam, and Jeffrey, there's no Hamites did not dwell in Africa. Hamites dwelled in, in Eastern Mesopotamia, 
India, Pakistan, Afghanistan. That's the region where they dwell because they still exist to this day. And everything. Just like the Chaldeans and the Urdu. All of them still are alive and well. So I know that, you know, all of these people still exist. They've always existed and everything. Um, so here we are with Ashkenaz. Remember, Ashkenaz is the uncle of the children of Shem. So we get to all, so all these Ashkenazes and everything. They're uncles and aunties, basically, if you want to put it like that. They're cousins. They're just as much as cousins as the Ishmaelites and the Edomians. We're all cousins and everything. So this is not white. This is not. This is not about white people versus Africans versus Asian and everything. First of all, the Bible does not talk about all races. Most European cultures and everything, the Bible does not uh, raise issue at. Doesn't mention people in Africa. They most people, especially like Southern and beyond the, uh, the Sahara, are not mentioned in the scriptures. Most of the people in Asia are not mentioned in the scriptures. We know Native Americans and stuff. They're not mentioned in the scriptures because that's not what that's not what the focus was. This whole concept of the races and everything coming from Ham, Shem, and Jephthah started with the started with rabbinics. Some some rabbis who wanted to try to uh, create uh, tables and everything, and it was based off of uh, racism and everything. Um, and uh, so Ashkenaz, the Ashkenazi, um, the, the Sumerians, the Sumerians, all of them decided to migrate together because the Ham, the, the, the different children of Ham always dwelt together. The Hamites. Their people had different tribes and different nations, so they, they dwelt in a certain region. The uh, Shemites dwelt in a certain region, and the Jephthah, they, they, it's like they all hung out together based off of, you know, kinship and everything. So the Ashkenaz was the largest population of the Sumerians, the Gemarians and everything. And so when they migrated to what is now Ukraine and parts of Russia and everything, they established a station called
a debate. He had he had them to, to debate and state their faith and everything. And he said he noticed the the Muslims and the Christians were always you are really opening up some uh, really important information here. <laughs>
Congress, they just look like typical Europeans and everything. Now, when it comes to attitude and everything, I believe that because of genetic relations, those Ashkenazim who are good toward Palestinians, who do stand up for Palestinians, who do stand up for ethnic Jews and that are discriminated against the Zionists, who do stand up for Beta Israel and, and the Mizraim, the Sephardi and the Yemenite who are marginalized, I believe they stand up for us because those are the ones who are 40% that's genetically related to us. The ones who are hostile to us are, are the ones that are converts and are from different tribes and everything that are known for barbarism, savagery and everything. Because if you go back and look and everything, the term Jew has over 15, 20 different variations of its name all throughout the history of its existence for the past 2,000 years that is completely unrelated to our people and our scriptures and everything. They, the, the, the word Jew used to be G-Y-U, G-U-E, I-E-W-E-S. They went through a whole list and everything, and it didn't come become the word Jew um, until it became a corrupted form, contracted and corrupted form of the Latin word for the Jew into the 18th century. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at any scriptures or any scriptures and everything, the St. Jerome Vulgate uh, scriptures of the 4th century, use Yadels to refer to the people of Israel and Judea and everything. There was no word Jew. When you look at the King James, uh, uh, the 1611 version, they did not use the word Jew. It was, no. the, word, it was the word Yahweh, which yeah. is I-E-W-E-S. Nobody you you never heard, nobody on the planet heard of the word Jew until it appeared in the uh, 18th century in the new translations of scripture. And when it became, when they released the scriptures and people saw it in Europe and the vote and, and, and the, the Vatican and the priests and all that, no one disputed it simply because no one knew the history of it or how it even came about because they didn't even see it as being associated with the, these people who called themselves Jews in the first place from Europe and everything. They, they didn't see no linguistic relation, so it was never disputed. So it was assumed that this was just a reference to the people of Israel. And in fact, it was a reference to people who are naturally descendants of Israel that lived in Europe and went by these different names. And so eventually, over time, with white religion, keep in mind, slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, apartheid, and all this, white people mean every religious. Okay, let me pause you. The static just came back. I don't know what your wife did, but the static, the static left. When she left, and then it just it started again. So do you have, like, a mic or something you use? Yeah, we both have mics on. But when she left, the static stopped. I'm going to put it on the other side so it don't be close to me. Yeah, and maybe because the, your mic is... Is it better now? Still static. So, so I don't know if both of you, maybe one of you don't need a mic. How about now? Keep talking. Okay, can you hear now? Yeah, we have two mics that sit by us. We got this little. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's no static now. You did the right thing. Okay. Okay. You know what? When I was in when I was studying Hebrew Israelite, I always thought the word Jew came from the tribe of Judah. Is that the way you think most people are thinking and believing? In the 19th century, that's when they started to force that. That and everything. Keep in mind. And I always challenge every scholar, including Jewish rabbis and stuff like that. This, I, I trip them up with a simple thing. And they have to admit, once this, because of universal, it's subjective, you can't dispute it. When it comes to proper noun, 
person, place, or thing. A person's name cannot be translated from one language to another. It has to be transliterated. So if you take a Hebrew word, say Yerushalayim, and then call it uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Yerushalayim is not the same. I mean, right. it really right. isn't. Jerusalem is a corrupted form of Yerushalayim. But say, okay, say for example, my name is Solomon, and you decide you want to call me Peace Officer because my name means Peace Officer. Okay, well, that's a translation. So if you actually read about me and somebody just translated my name and kept referring to me as the Peace Officer, <laughs> that's a translation. Right. In German, my name is Shalomim. In Zulu language, my name is Shalomim. In Arabic, my name is Shalomim. In Sanskrit, my name is Shalomim. In English, my name is Shalomim. No matter what language it is, you have to call me Shalomim. You call me by any other name. You try to call me Solomon. Well, well, that's always been the debate about Jesus and Yahushua. Once, once we learned about the Hebrew, Aramaic, Yahushua, or Yahshua, and then we would talk about, okay, transliteration. You can't do that. You can't do that. But here we are, people still hanging on to Jesus, and then there's the Yahshua, but you make that yeah. make sense. Jesus and Yahshua are both pseudo-terms and in, in, in a violation of international rules, translation, transliteration. Those are forgeries based off of agenda, just like God place in Elohim, when God is singular, Elohim is plural, or the Lord being used to uh, trans replace Yahweh. Those are translations. Those are violations of the universal laws that they teach you in college and teach you in school to abide by, but when it comes to religion, they want to violate. So there's no way the word Jew or G-U-Y, G-U-E, whatever you want to call it, J-E-W-S and everything, it cannot be associated with the word Yadeos in uh, Hebrew or uh, uh, Yehudim in Aramaic, um, it can't be, it, it's no association because it, it's not even linguistic related and everything. So to say that the word Jew is a reference to the word Yehuda or Yehudim is a forgery and a fraud that started in the 18th and 19th century with them plotting to overtake Palestine. Wow. Wow. So, and, and keep in so mind. manipulation, <laughs> like, of history, of names, of words. Of, and so do you think, um, you think, Rabbi, that we have a season of coming out of that with the spirit of truth? I call Yeshua the Messiah spirit of truth. And I believe that what, what Scripture tells us about Messiah coming back is all coming back in here. The spirit of truth, that's how I see it. But do you think we're in that starting to rise up, that spirit of truth where all these myths and confusions and mistranslations are, are now being uh, exposed? I think a lot of people are going to stay in deception and, deception and, and just stay with that and everything. Uh, based, off, based off my interaction, like, for example, with the Hebrews, like, they're not interested in the truth. They're interested in, in, in promoting a narrative. Uh, evangelical Christians. Uh, when they say I stand with Israel, they're talking about I stand with white Israel. That doesn't include people who look like me and everything. They want to control the narrative and, and you know and everything about what a, Jew, a Israelite looks like and everything. That's why when they started revising the scriptures and everything, um, I called I call it Tanakh today, the King James Version, the JPS, the NIV. They're all Talmudic companion Bibles. Now I'm not saying anything is wrong with the, uh, with the Talmud. I'm saying those scriptures was created after the Talmud was created. 
Now, going back to the whole thing about Sadomians not worshiping the Creator, they noticed they actually also followed the Babylonian Talmud instead of the Talmud, the Palestinian Talmud. They used to actually call it the Palestinian Talmud. You hear these Jews, these Zionists going around talking about there was no such thing as Palestine while we're sitting up here with a big old book called the Palestinian Talmud and everything that was written a hundred years before the Babylonian Talmud. But everything about them is geared toward Babylonian culture and Babylonian traditions, the calendar. Uh, even the Yamsa and everything is associated with that. Now, that don't mean that it's necessarily bad. I'm just pointing out that's the, the factual history and everything that they're promoting. They're not promoting Israelite culture and everything. So now, the Ashkenazim, uh, the ethnic Ashkenazim, were actually basically outpopulated, just like the Perushim, like the Israelites were outpopulated by the Adumians. The Adumians became outpopulated by the Ashkenazim. Because remember, the Ashkenazim are not Adumians, but they follow Adumianism, the Adumian culture. So the Sephardi today are the Adumians. And as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're righteous. They're part of our covenant. They're part of our people. They're family. They're good people and everything. And they go through the same struggles that we go through. So they're on our side, even though they're mostly them Adumians. But once again, this is not blanket because you have Israelites, ethnic Israelites who follow Sephardi tradition and everything. Um... So the Adumians got overtaken and outpopulated by the Ashkenazim in Europe and everything. So now we have this entity pop up like a gang and starts causing problems in Europe, the Bolsheviks. Uh, you have all of these revolutions and everything. And every time you see a revolution, you see a collapse, you see a problem, all of a sudden these Gayus, these Jews, these people, these, these Ashkenazi become the forefront and they're kicked out of the country. So we get to the Holocaust, right? Now, keep in mind, during all of this time, ethnic Israelites and some Jews, Dumians, all of them, in Palestine, living together, suffering together, coexisting over a thousand years, no problem, except with the Ottomans and the Europeans who exploited them and everything. That's why most of the majority, all most of the uh, descendants of slaves in in Brazil and and Colombia and all of them are descendants of Ishmaelites, Israelites, and Adumians. That's a fact. So we get to the Holocaust. Both both Arabs and uh, Zionist Jews tried to make alliances. With Hitler, the fact that the Zionists asked Hitler to let them fight with him to conquer the whole entire Near East. That's a fact. And there's not a, there's nobody who's an honest, decent person can dispute that in Judaism whatsoever. Not a rabbi or a scholar. That's a fact. But the problem and is Zionists were partnering with Hitler. They wanted to they wanted to partner with Hitler. And they made a deal. Well, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back up to that. They wanted to part with Hitler, but so did some of the Arab peoples. So both of them were petitioning to be allies with Hitler. Now, this is where we're getting into both of the problems. Okay, so we have these Ashkenazim being slaughtered along with Russians, Poles. All of these people have been slaughtered by this maniacal dude who created oxycodone. He created all these drugs and everything, and drug even his own military. Okay, so he's murdering them, 
while Zionists are making pacts with him, showing that they have no regard for the decent with, and with, with has been no, what some people call some religious things. You know what I'm talking about? Called the little Jew. The big Jew, the Zionists, decided to use them to exploit a colonial project. Now, during the Holocaust, before, right before the Holocaust, the Zionists, Uganda, as its homeland, or a Jewish homeland. Uganda? Right, they wanted Uganda. Wow. If you would have got that, then right now we'd be talking about Ugandans being murdered in mass. My goodness. <laughs> but, the, the, but what happened was, while they were planning to colonize Uganda with the permission of the Ugandan government, by the way, the Palestinians said, we'll help you, and we'll open our doors to the Jews who were being slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was, this is the fact. There was a debate between all of the Arab nations and everything. I've seen the newspapers, I've seen the writings, I've seen all the arguments. And most of the Arab nations said, yes, let's let the Ashkenazi Jews come in because they would be great for economic development. They said that themselves. Mm-hmm. They said it'd be great for economic development and to, and to create wealth and, 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 and develop the land. They said that. So, they're coming up with a plan that they think is a good under the idea of coexistence and peace. While the Zionists saying, let's not use Uganda, let's switch it in. Yeah, let's go to Israel, but let's go and overtake it and wipe out all the people there and replace it with our culture, become the dominant culture. So you got one who's receptive, you got another one who's exploiting good Jews who are in need of help. Now, there was still a minority faction of the Arabs who did not like the plan from day one. But because they had their own press, they actually was able to amplify their voice in the Arab world bigger than what it's supposed to be. Same thing is going over in the United States and everything. All the stuff you see that the media is instigating, I mean, and this is just compares all the stuff you see the media instigating about racism, about the genocide of black people, about the skinheads and the Ku Klux Klan and all this stuff here. All of those are minority French people. Out of 350 some million people, we're going to let a little French people because the media broadcasting people, giving them a platform, make us think that our country is in such a crisis. When every day I go out, I see white people. Hey, brother, how you doing? I see black people. Hey, brother, how you doing? I see Asian. Greetings. Everybody's kind of nice to each other. Where's this? hate and, this, and everything you think based off of the media and how these friends do think that as soon as you walk out your door, police just gonna start blazing. Uh, uh, white people just, uh, white people are black, gonna start lynching. Black people just gonna start beating the hell out of white people and it's just gonna be a race war. That's a goddamn lie. All of it is lie. It's race hustling and it's foolishness because you're giving friends groups a voice that they should not have, which is creating conflict that shouldn't exist. That's what was going on in Palestine. So you had a fact, and, and the voices that resisted evolved into what we understand now as the Islamist militant, the radicalized one. So they let the Jews come in originally in numbers. There's a certain amount allowed in each, in each wave. But the Zionists infiltrated the groups with arms. They were sneaking in guns and missiles and bombs and stuff. When the Arabs found out, they stopped the refugees from coming in and everything because they found out and they started to oppose and they started to take up arms because they saw 
these white Jews taking up the line and everything. And before you know it, there's a mass conflict between Zionists and the local population. Now, that also means there was conflict with ethnic Jews or ethnic Israelites as well and everything that they keep calling Palestinians. Okay, so there was some more refugees that could come and they said absolutely not and everything and still those refugees came in and everything and they make, they tried to paint them as poor, as destitute, as hungry and needing everything on the ship and they were fully armed. And they got loose and they went haywire and started attacking the people. The They literally attacked the British army and killed British soldiers and hung their bodies up on poles for everybody to see. This was Zionist did to the British. Wait a minute, I thought uh, the Balfour Declaration was uh, put in by the British. That was after that. Oh, after that, okay. They basically ran the British out of Palestine. The British oh. left. And once the British left, Israel started a full-scale start of the war with them. They created the Nakba ethnic cleansing. They declared Israel as a state. They uh, started. They, they tried to poison um, Palestinian wells to try to kill as many Palestinians. They was indiscriminately killing Palestinian women. They, you got people... You got these uh, old clowns on video laughing and telling, uh, documenting, telling about what they did to the Palestinians and how the four, how 14-year-old girls were being raped by the soldiers and how they was killing babies and everything and laughing about it. Brunetity. So this is documented. I'm not making this up and everything. So you end up with this full conflict and everything, and all of these people are driven out. Keep in mind, we're talking about Israelites too. Now, this is not the first time an incident like this happened. The book of Ezekiel, I believe, 38, actually mentions almost verbatim an incident that happened by this, and he said that it was God who did it. Came in and said he slaughtered Israelites and the local population. It gives me detail. If you read the book of Ezekiel 38, it's almost verbatim what you see today with what the Zionists are doing to the astronauts. Now, in their plot to take over Palestine, they also had in their agenda to wipe out the Mizrahi culture and influence to replace it with their own. So they had no intention of just wiping out the Palestinian Arabs. They said in their own charter and out of their own mouth, they were going to wipe my people out too and replace it with their culture. And that's exactly what they did. Mizrahi and, uh, and, and Yemenite and Ethiopian Jews are the most marginalized people in Israel. Ethiopian Jews ended up there as basically as a as a uh, as a shield mm. it was a shield because the international community started calling israel racist and apartheid and so they wanted to make sure they had more faces that were darker to say hey look we're not racist by bringing these people over but when they bring them over a lot of a lot of ethiopians of my brothers and sisters committed suicide a lot what? of them drugs a lot what? of them gave up the faith and everything because they had long and hope seriously to return to the homeland and they were duped into believing this was the prophecy being fulfilled, and then they come and they're treated like animals. And they're then told, they sterilized the women, didn't they? Some of the women, didn't they? Later on, they, they, they sterilized the women. They have the scandal called the ringworm scandal, where they took they took the party kids. They took the party kids and Israeli kids and poor radiation over their heads it was like this it was it's been associated with like the tuskegee experiment they put radiation over these kids heads and these kids suffered in mass and has 
long, you know, horrible, horrible, painful death and everything. Um, they, they had the segregation policies. It was only until some years ago that they tried to, you know, fix, act like they were going to fix things with the Mizrahi and Ethiopian Jews and everything and give more rights. And, you know, they started recognizing the Ethiopian Day of Sagud and everything with the Young Kippur and all of that stuff there. But um, Israel was segregated. These From daycare to high school and everything, the Ashkenazi Zionists didn't want Sephardi and Mizrahi and Ethiopian kids went to the same daycare as their children. They didn't want them to go to the same elementary school as their children. So they, we were segregated. And we still are and everything. And so, you know, and so now the Ashkenazi do all of this brutal stuff and everything. Then they start to revise history and now trying to argue and say, well, we've always been here. This is our ancestry and everything. And, and you know, we're just coming back to our homeland and everything. And they're doing it because they're piggybacking off the very people they despise. They're piggybacking off the Mizrahi, who were already here. They're piggybacking off of the Sephardi, who were already here. And trying to attack for their identity while shunning our people. So we've got now in the current uh, events, Rafa comes up. What do you what do you say about this last area? It seems like um, this sub south, what is it, southwest Israel, Rafa is in the news a lot. What do you say is going on there that we should be aware of in terms of how it's going to affect us? And I, I believe the refugee problem, the refugees are going all over the world now, carrying the trauma of this area. And now Rafa, where it seems like where all the refugees have been moved to, Rafa, and how they're targeting Rafa. Is that is that what the case is? Well, let me say this. Hamas was born out of resistance. The leader... This is a little bit of story, history about the leader of Hamas, the current leader. He was born in the West Bank. His, the, uh, the, the Zionist government at the um, time when he was a child ethnically cleansed a certain part of Samaria and Judea where he, where he lived um, in the West Bank. They ethnically cleansed and ran all the people out. It was, they, they was there's tons of history of ethnic cleansing that happened against the Palestinians in the past 70 years. Yeah. So he was ethnically cleansed from his, from his, from the area, and he had to grow up in a refugee camp. Mm-hmm. So, he, so of course, he, that's how he grew up. He grew up being victimized and being treated like an animal and everything. So he, uh, he eventually took over uh, the uh, Hamas after the original Hamas leader was assassinated. Why he was old and feeble and basically a paraplegic. Israel killed him as a paraplegic, I believe. So this man, Nathan Yahweh, when Nathan Yahoo came into power, that's when all hell really broke loose because we were actually, uh, I think it's called the Oslo Accords, we were actually getting ready to sign and make peace. And Israel is going to be recognized by the Arab world under who I really admire, um, Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. Um, he was a good man. I, I admire him a lot. Um, and they assassinated him. But the crazy thing is, it was a Sephardi Jew who assassinated him, who was radicalized by Zionists, poisonous Zionists. Zionism turns into an atom. And after that, Benjamin Netanyahu came to power and um, he tricked 
he was warned by the West, by the, by, by um, Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton. He was warned to leave the homeless leave alone because they started to assassinate. Well, this Nation Yahoo had the Mossad go, and um, I he was on a meeting. I, I can't remember. I think it might be Jordan. I think it was in Jordan. He was having a meeting with the King of Georgia, and um, they said the Mossad, and the Mossad used, you know, spy techniques, or whatever, and stung him with uh, fentanyl. They poisoned him with, and so he was in the hospital in a coma. He was basically going to die, and Bill Clinton basically called Netanyahu and literally cussed him out. Hmm. He was so angry. The, the U.S. government and the, and, and the administration was so angry that Benjamin Netanyahu was forced to give him the antidote to revive him because if he would have died, what they were, the peace they were trying to make with Jordan would be dead and it would have caused mass conflict and everything. Everybody, every president since Bill Clinton thanks Benjamin Netanyahu is an ass, including the current administration. Can't stand, nobody, nobody likes him. Nobody in the diplomatic world, because, you know, I work with the United Nations Department of Economic and Social Affairs and also the UN, I'm affiliated with the UN Global Compact. So I, I get to meet, to talk with the dignitaries and the presidents, prime minister. Nobody likes that man. That man, most people in Israel don't like him. Even his own cabinet now don't like him. They actually, they told him, <laughs> after the war, you gone. He blocked me on he blocked me on Facebook because I gave him prophetic words that he was gonna fall and he was gonna be overthrown. So why is why are they allowing him to do what he's doing? Well, in twenty twenty two we had some when we after we had all of these embarrassing elections, which ironically happened after I publicly gave them this prophecy about what was gonna happen and everything, they all of a sudden the everything becoming unstable, everybody became divided and we went through Five or six in a, in a span of a couple of years, we went through about five or six elections and everything. And finally, for some reason, they allowed in the election in 2022 these people known as Kahanis to get into the government. Kahanis is the most dangerous type of Jew on the goddamn planet. The U.S. government defines Kahanis as terrorist. Kahanis followed the doctrine of Mirkan. Mir Khan was basically a rabbinical maniac. He created the doctrine of extermination of Palestinians. He created the doctrine that advocates for the poisoning of all the water of the Palestinians, for bombing them, and basically eventually exterminating them for the land. So you got this idiot named Smotrich, and I hope he sees this because they know who I am. I hope this idiot named Smotrich, his name is Smotrich, and then you got Ben Gabir. Ben Gavir looks like the devil himself on his head. You can look in his eyes and tell he, there is no light there. These two Kahanis are the ones who are perpetuating and promoting this toxic ideology and everything. It's basically being the poster, the poster, poster uh, clowns um, of genocide. I even said when they came in office, I said, uh-oh, this is the end of the I already knew it before all of this happened and everything. Because this nothing, this did not start on October 7th. October, yeah. trying, to start, trying to start everything from October 7th, is like being an allopathic nurse and an allopathic doctor only trying to treat a symptom but not trying to understand the underlying cause and think the symptom is going to go away while the underlying cause is still there. That's palliative in nature, trying to start from October 7th. But white, that's how white people are. They're, they're sanctimonious and everything. They think that everything about them is the most important. That's why when they report on the news and everything, you, you hear you, black people get killed every day from mass shootings. You hear bombs and people are victims of terrorist attacks all throughout Africa and everything. 
you would never get a visual from Fox News, CNN, and everything. But the minute something happened in France, all of a sudden it's a global tragedy. No, it's not. It's a France tragedy. It ain't my tragedy. It ain't Africa's tragedy. So somebody blew up something in uh in uh in Britain or London or something. All of a sudden it's a tragedy. We got to do visuals and all this stuff here and everything. They make sure to always put their kind of people above everybody else using media, using education, using all using politics and everything. That you know, they use terms America's exceptionalism. That's just another cover for, for white white supremacy or superiority and everything. So that's just that's just how they are. Yeah. So Rafa, what what about Rafa? What's happening so, there? Well, basically, I mean, from what Israel is the Gaza, they're gonna they're gonna tell all these people basically to do a, tra- a trail of tears, one two point How Andrew Jackson did the Native Americans. They're gonna tell them all of you need to evacuate. I want you to think about somebody telling everybody in the city of Chicago, everybody in the city of Orlando, everybody in the city of uh, Atlanta, everybody who black or hispanic you got to get out now or you, or you're going to get killed because we're picked to come in and fight your politicians and everything so they ethnically cleanse and run everybody out just to go after the mayor and administration of the government of that city that's what this is like so they're running people out of these and these cities are not small right and they make and they're bombing these people and then they say you need to go south because we're going to take the north but then while these people are traveling they're blowing up the ambulance. They're blowing up women and children. Where's the Hamas members? All we're seeing is over almost 30,000 uh, women and children and men who had nothing to do with anything whatsoever with what happened on October 7th and who've been victims basically all their lives just being slaughtered and everything and have nowhere to go because we got cowards in Egypt who got them locked in. We got the clowns in Jordan who don't want to help them why the damn queen is the goddamn Palestinian. Okay, we're going to take a break because this is a lot to uh, absorb. And um, when we come back, um, let's make a, a little turn and go to, uh, I think it's Haifa, where the Baha'i uh, gardens are. That's where my family grew up at. Okay, so we're going to, because somebody texted me about that, and I, I'm supposed to ask you about that. So I think when we come back, let's just summarize the history and 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 start planning a solution for each individual. What is it that we need to do individually to change the energy of hate and violence and murder that we that you just described? It's, it's a this this Earth history is crazy. I think we're all ready to move on to. No wars and and elect people. I mean, if there's such a thing, electing people who are not warmongers and so forth. So here's we're going to take a break, and this is uh, bring us into healing and what we need to do to heal this energy of hate and and anger and bitterness and so forth. So here we go. Have you ever wondered why some of the healthiest people still get sick? Or why the occurrence of learning disabilities like ADHD have drastically increased over the last 50 years? How is it that the cancer rate has gone from 1 in 8,000 back in the 1910s to 1 in 2 today? Isn't it odd that even though we are more focused on health than ever before, 
that there's still been an increase disorders, illnesses, and other conditions that destroy your quality of life? What if we told you that the very things you're using in your home to avoid these health concerns are actually what's causing them? If you're the decision maker in your home, you know how overwhelming it can be to keep your family safe. Today, we'd like to welcome you and simply provide you with some important information and shed some light on some health concerns you may not be aware of. Over the last hundred years, thousands of toxic chemicals have been introduced into society because of an excessive overstock of chemicals designed warfare in the Second World War. Today, as the 2013 documentary, The Human Experiment states, quote, 42 billion pounds of toxic chemicals enter into commerce every day. That amount would fill up 623,000 tanker trucks. And as we speak, there are over 80,000 such chemicals on the market in the U.S. Over the last half century, chemical usage has gone up by 2,000%. And it isn't until there are enough people hurt by these products that there are even questions raised. Does this sound familiar? On July 12, 2018, the well-known grocery store brand, Talcum and Baby Powder Company, Johnson & Johnson, was ordered to pay a $4.6 billion lawsuit. As it was said, they knowingly covered up asbestos in their product for over 40 years, and we have been trustingly using it on ourselves and our most precious of all things, our newborn babies. As parents, we work hard to keep our families safe and healthy. We diligently try to choose the best brands at the grocery store for our families. After all, keeping a clean home is an important part of good health. But is it possible cleaning your home is dangerous? 7.3 million American couples have trouble conceiving or carrying a pregnancy to term. This is a 49% increase since 1988. Recent studies have shown that babies that do make it to term are being born pre-polluted with up to 28 harmful chemicals in their blood with indicators that over 400 more were present, all without ever eating food, drinking water, or even breathing air yet. It just doesn't make any sense. Studies show that in 1999, one in 500 kids had autism. Today, it's one in 59. But the effects don't stop there. As of 2013, the increases over the last 45 years show that life-threatening birth defects has increased 100%. Genital deformities in baby boys has increased 122%. Asthma has increased 80%. Leukemia in children has increased 74%. And ADHD has increased 53%. A 20-year independent study was done by the University of Bergen in Norway. This study started closely tracking a population of 6,235 women and men they tracked the typical use of home cleaners and how they affect lung tissue of those who use them over a long period of time. Over the course of the study, the participants answered questions about their usage of cleaning products and had their lung capacity tested regularly. In May 2018, the study was published in the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, which generated global media attention because their findings from the study clearly showed that significant damage had been done to lung tissue and that by using national brand cleaners, 
even only once a week, have the same effect as smoking a pack of cigarettes. So that information um, is why we have a war going on right in the United States of America uh, that is affecting people's health. And I've, that company uh, that has um, put together that information is called Melaleuca. And I've partnered with Melaleuca.com to help people change their life. And so after hearing all that Rabbi Cohen has described as a history of evil and um, uh, psychopathic <laughs> warmongering energy, we still realize that we are one. We are one human family, but we are cousins and brothers and sisters fighting each other. So uh, melaluka.com, I, I invite all of you to go to melaluka.com. I'm, I'm going to put it in the, in the comments to check out this company. I'm partnering with them, especially for the essential oils, because I use a lot of essential oils. And I found out this company provides me all the oils I need, and I can buy nothing but essential oils and maintain my minimum and all that. So anyway, check out melaluca.com. And that, that advertisement was all about melaluca.com. And if you want more information, uh, you can go to my website, uh, yourholisticlifecoach.com. So, Rabbi, Rabbi Cohen, uh, for everyone who, does, who joined us late, Rabbi Cohen is an integrative physician. So, he has informed me um, so many um, health issues in our country. Uh, that I'm grateful to you, Rabbi Cohen, for your Facebook page. Because every time I read his Facebook page, I learn something new. And at my age, like I say, my one of my goals is to always learn something new so I can prevent Alzheimer's and dementia. And this brother right here is helping me stay young and healthy. So, uh, Rabbi Cohen, again, thank you. But let us make a, like a summary of what you just shared with us, and let's look at something that's really beautiful in Israel, which is Haifa. What, what do you want to know about Haifa? Well, Baha'i Garden, what do you know about Baha'i? Is that is that a, a religion or a community that is helping the situation there? Are they kind of neutral? What have, you, what have you seen going on in Haifa? that can even help the people there at all? What is it with Haifa and the Baha'i? Like a garden? Well, the Baha'i, let me say this, the Baha'i is one of the most decent um, religious systems I know in the world. Um, and I do, uh, my, uh, my great grandparents had actually fled and came over here. Uh, they'd be lived down the street from the Baha'i. That's how I know of the Baha'i since a child. Um, and so the Baha'i children played with my, with my um, family and everything. Uh, they called the way, you know, right down the street and everything. Um, the Baha'i, because um, yeah, uh, my great 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 grandfather was alive when the Baha'u'llah was um, exiled from Persia, Iran, and he was in jail when my great grandparents was alive. Um, the Baha'i, I, I always tell people. I issued a halakhic uh, decree about, I think it was over 10 years ago, that it was permissible for um, ethnic Jews, Israelites, um, to attend the Baha'i communities if there was no synagogue in the area or if they did not identify 
with the culture and the traditions of the Ashkenazim. Now, there are a lot of Ashkenazi Jewish brothers and sisters, uh, Jews, not Zionists, Nudakarta. Uh, all of them are very good, uh, the Hasidic, the Kabbalah, very good people. Uh, they're different from us culturally. They follow rabbinic Judaism, of course, and everything. But they're very decent people, and they stand up for the Palestinians and everything. Um, and there's a lot you can learn from them. But as much as I love them, I don't identify with their culture and everything. I, I visited many synagogues and everything, and the people were wonderful, but I don't like their service format. It reminds me of a Catholic church and Gothic. I, I'm not into that and everything. I come from a culture. A lot of people don't know. You ever heard of the uh, you ever heard of the charismatic movement in Christianity? Oh yeah. yeah. The charismatic movement started again around about the 1960s. The charismatics get their style of worship from our our culture, Judaism. Our branch of Judaism and everything. Um, there used to be a charismatic movement hundreds of years ago. They used to call themselves the Montanists and everything. It was a branch of, uh, I guess you say, Messianic Jews, or whatever, and Gentiles, and they created this Montanism that is based off of the actually based off the scriptures and um in the Ethiopian Bible, of which over here they call it the pseudopigrapha, um like the Testament of Job, where his daughters uh, went into a trance and they spoke become angels. I mean, a Jewish concept. That's not a Christian concept. So Montanism was built around that, and then of course the Vatican basically killed him and ran him on the ground. And then um, you had the Pentecostalism, you had the Zazusa Street Revival. I know of all of these things. Um, in fact, one of the brothers, uh, Bishop Carson Pearson, I knew him personally. He just passed away. Um, he actually tried to carry that on and everything. But wait a minute, wait a minute. You knew Brother Carlton Pearson? I went to Oral Roberts University. <laughs> I started to mention uh, where to ask you if you knew him because I remember that's where he hung out quite a bit. When, what year were you born, can I ask? 19, 1976. Okay. I'm 47. Okay, so yeah, Carlton, what a story. I, I loved his worship, his singing, his music, and then uh, you come out with the truth about um, heaven and people throw you aside. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right. I mean, and that all happened with the rise of Messianic Judaism. Um, they yes. started to rise as well, and they have that same style and everything. But most people think it, that style comes from Christianity, but it actually was a Jewish and Israelite concept that they adopted. That's why when people say they hear me teach and they see my style of worship when I, when, um, in our congregations and communities, they mistake me for a charismatic pastor sometimes and I say, no, no, I'm not Christian. I'm Jewish. I'm like, oh, wow, there's so much similarity. I was like, if they're on the surface, it may seem similar, but there's nothing in common between us at all, whatsoever. Um, now, do you, ever, do you read or ever study the New Testament? I'm well-versed in the New Testament. I, I, I know how to teach the New Testament and teach people what the New Testament does not say that's written in the English. Uh -huh. so okay. I'm very versed in that. That's part. That's all part of my um, theological background and everything. Because um, I have a master's in um, rabbinic studies, but I also have an um, interfaith background as well. And I'm also an interfaith chaplain. So, so um, Rabbi, 
with all the knowledge we have about our government uh, being bought and paid for uh, <clears throat> by uh, CPAC and all that, what do you think our responsibility is as Americans uh, with this climate we're in right now that we hope this too shall, we know this too shall pass, but in the meantime, what would you uh, say our responsibility is, especially on a spiritual, metaphysical level? What do we should be, what should we be doing while this drama in the Middle East plays out? Well, to finish with the point I was making, um, so I actually issued a decree so people who did not, could not find, because Mizrahia Ethiopian Judaism is not popular in the United States. Ashkenazi Judaism is popular. Even though we're the majority in the world, they're the majority here in the United States and Europe and everything. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our people, it's hard to find my brand of Judaism anywhere in the United States and everything. So I told people, don't identify with the Ashkenazi culture and rabbinic Judaism, whether it's Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, Reconstructionism, all that stuff. I say go to, it's okay to go to a Baha'i community and everything. Now, as far as what they're doing, Baha'i are usually just a neutral people, from my understanding. Um, I don't think they get involved. I haven't heard much from them with regards to what's going on, but I can tell you that um, uh, the Baha'i is kind of similar to the Druze. My, I have family. I have family members that come from the Jews too. In fact, our genetics actually point out that we we got Jews in us and everything because the Jews they practice a variation of Shia Islam mixed with Essene Jewish tradition. Oh, and really? Most Baha'i like Baha'i carry a genetic that goes beyond just Israel. We have a genetic pattern. If you took my blood right now because I'm associated with the Jews and everything, or you took the blood or genetic test of any Druze, they will match everybody in the Middle East all the way to Southeast Asia and everything. They'll match everybody. Now, the Druze, I'm not familiar with the Druze. The Druze are a, and Jewish, um, that has always lived in the Near East and everything. In fact, uh, the Israeli government actually don't bother them at all. They actually are the most respected uh, community in Israel made up of the Arab and Muslim Jews and everything. Um, they serve in the IDF, because it's law and everything. Um, but the Israeli government does not treat the Jews like they treat the Palestinians um, for whatever how, reason. How do they know the difference, though? I mean, do they they don't look any different, do they? The Jews are, I mean, the Jews will have a step. The Jews are have their, their culture and religious tradition is almost like a secret order. If you're not a Druze or ethnically related to them, you're not going to get much knowledge from them. They stay with amongst themselves, and they don't really have outsiders and everything. So I'm fortunate to be genetically related, so I come in. So, so, so as far as individual responsibility, what do you think our daily practice be to change the hate and the war that's going on spiritually, cosmically, universally, how do we individually do something different to to diffuse all this horror that we see going on? When the enemy is showing his ugly face, telling you 
we're going to support Nazis in Ukraine. We're going to let them show their colors and we're going to arm them while we're sitting ducks, while they allow Zionists to commit genocide. Um, and they're just showing their colors and everything. You got the news media, you got Hollywood stars, you got the government officials and everything all rallying behind Nazis. All of them rallying behind Nazis and everything while they're robbing us financially. They're bankrupting us economically. They're making it now, like here in Atlanta, you have to make almost $70,000. I'm sorry, you have to make at least $3,500 to $4,000 a month just to get a one-bedroom apartment, which is probably the slum because of inflation. You got to have you got to have at least $70,000 to $100,000 just to buy your first house as far as income. And it might not be a good-looking house. You got homes that are like almost... 40, 50 years old, run down $200,000. They're robbing us. They're giving it to their people, their kind, their order. They're trying to keep alive neocolonialism and everything while they destroy everything, instigate wars and peace and all of this here. And they're basically putting all of our lives together. They're putting uh, Jewish lives, uh, Arab lives, white lives, black lives, Hispanic lives, Asian lives, they're putting all our lives in America in danger. You can't make peace with those kind of people. You just can't. You have to start being, stop being afraid and stand up to them. Make sure we fight them until we win. What they're doing, and, and I know it's liberals and everything, and I'm, I'm generally a conservative. I'm actually a right-leaning centrist, actually. So I'm actually a, a middleman that leans to the right. But what I see going on on the college campuses around the United States with the students standing up for what is right. The students are standing up for the people of Palestine. The students are standing up against Nazism. The students are standing up against against uh, censorship and everything. And we're seeing these colleges, we're seeing the government, we're seeing officials, we're seeing white people openly try to oppress, try to muzzle, try to, try to find ways to, uh, to criminalize free speech and protest just because we're criticizing the Zionists. We see the Zionists. I actually helped vote. I voted for the Zionists of Florida, and I regret every day of it because he's a moron. He's out here worrying about all the wrong stuff and everything, taking away the funds from colleges because Palestinians are standing up for their people. What kind of human being would do that? Who did you say, the Zionists? The the governor of Florida. Oh, yeah. yeah he's a <laughs> he's a yeah. I, I, I voted for him, but he's a uh, well, so, you know what? What you know what we discovered about him? He has a very strong Jewish support, and that's who he's he's uh, he's catering to. But what what I loved about him is that he kept us safe during Corona COVID madness. He was not putting up with. He was very bold and courageous uh, for all the things he did and said about COVID. He hired the Ladapa, this great black, our, our Surgeon General is the best, courageous. But you're right. Now character is being questioned because of some of the decisions he's making. Let me say this. The Torah, the book of Ezekiel says this. I'm not going to quote it directly, but most who read the scriptures know what I'm talking about. All the good that the scientists did do. Similar to all the good that Martin Luther King Jr. did. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm going. 
Yeah. <laughs> everything that Martin Luther King did has no meaning of value after he becomes complacent with rape. Raping, uh, the pastors raping uh, female parishioners and trafficking them and the orgies and all of this stuff there and the affairs he had, all of that went out of the window. He shouldn't be recognized. That's why I can't wait to 2028 when they release, 2027 when they release all the documents to get rid of this man and his image because he's a monster. Well, the same thing with the scientists. All the good that he did during COVID and everything means absolutely nothing when you're sitting up there supporting and aiming for the destruction of gen- uh, the genocide of uh, Palestine and then use the Bahamas as an example and say to the Bahamas, who ain't never did anything to America, who's never been hostile to America, who's always been friendly to America, and you stand up there as an irresponsible government and say, if the Bahamas ever tried what the, uh, what the Bahamas did and everything, we'll level them to the ground. This is a this is a moron. Yeah. He don't deserve to get credit for nothing. And the turn of credit is not going to reward him for anything he did for coach. All that all that's gone out the door. Just yeah. like my little king. Neither one of them, both of them will go to the same place in Kahina and gonna be looking up like fools, wishing they could get something quenched on their tongue. See, I told them yeah. to <laughs> Well well, I totally understand uh, what you're saying because the truth is coming out. The truth is being revealed. And it does change our beliefs and how we see other people, especially people who have been put on a pedestal. And we, Martin Luther King, who would have thought? I mean, there's so much getting out about everybody. All these people we have lifted up and put on a pedestal. When the truth comes out, it's like you got to rethink everything you thought about those people and, and accept it or not. But we, we, I think the bottom line, stop putting people on pedestals. Nobody should be put on. Just receive the teaching. Don't shoot the messenger, but just take the message. That's how I look at it. Cause you're, and you're right. I didn't know all that. Well, yeah, I mean, we've heard rumors about Martin Luther King, and we didn't know sure. But, yeah, everybody does, you know, skeletons in their closets. So what you're saying is that uh, I think for individually, we are responsible for resisting what we know and see is very evil activity and governments that are, are complicit with, for genocide of a people. We're seeing it live in color. And we can now discern for ourselves who the, the parties are responsible for all this. Anybody who doesn't stand up to fight for what is right is a coward. Anybody that doesn't stand up to try to stop World War Three that's going to be inevitable is a coward. Whether you're an individual or whether you're a government, the United Nations, the biggest cowards on the planet. You got peacekeepers if you can stop all the genocide and everything and these war factions in, in Africa somewhere, not exactly true, but you don't have any kind of power and everything to go over there and stop Zionists from slaughtering these people wholesale. You're cowards. That's simple as that. And if you're a coward, you're an enemy to humanity. Globalists, a World Economic Forum, Zionism, Christian Evangelicalism, which is actually the breath and the life of Zionism. They're all enemies of humanity. They're enemies of the creator, Yahweh, because none of them worship him. They're enemies of everything that is good and decent and right about humans. They are the enemies of that. And if we keep letting them have the power, the influence, and do what they want to do wholesale, 
with this neo-colonialism, we're gonna it's gonna come at our door soon. The chickens are going to come home to roost if you don't stand up and everything, because just like the Palestinians are in danger, that's a warning sign that we all are in danger, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're ethnic Jewish, we're all in danger because of what some maniacal entities that are trying to run and control this place and trying to keep an old, outdated, unwelcome system alive. Nobody wants neocolonialism. Like I said, I don't care what people say. I support Russia and I support China and their efforts to get rid of the unipolar system, which is neocolonialism, and replace the world order with a multipolar system where everybody's treated equal. Everybody has a right to their own, a real right to, their, to determine their own destiny and everything where one, one, one civilization can impose its values on another civilization. I support it. That's why I'm actually I'm, uh, affiliated with the non-alignment movement. Um, and I also support BRICS. But I, and, 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 and I told them, I said, if you want, you can always release me and you can cancel my membership and cancel my affiliation. But I'm always going to criticize the United, States, uh, the United Nations as worthless and inept. Do you, are you familiar with Gabor Maté? Heard of his name. Okay. He is a strong anti-Zionist. Uh, he's a Holocaust survivor and he's a medical doctor who has spent a lot of time in Canada working with addicts uh, and help trying to help and, and with therapy for their trauma and all that. So his words recently, after he watched the trailer for that uh, documentary I told you about Israelism, were that you're going to see more trauma in our lives as a result of the war. Trauma from people who have left the war, trauma from people who live here and who have family over there. So his, his, uh, his statement was like a warning to prepare to respond to the people around us with trauma. It's going to, he thinks it's going to be really uh, an epidemic because of what's going on over there. So in your, in your work as a physician, do you see any signs of, of that type of trauma just from in your neighborhood or just people in general? There's trauma everywhere. Um, yes. I'm, act, I'm actually, on, uh, beginning of March 1st, I'm actually going to be the leading uh, physician of the new wellness center. It's basically like a hospital here in, um, in Atlanta of the Sickle Cell Foundation. I was selected to actually start running that and everything. But um, I, want to, I want to say this first, though. Uh, make no mistake about it. I'm not anti-Zionist. I am anti-Zionism in its current form. And make no mistake about it that my criticism and my stance against Zionist Jews does not equate my stance against Israel. I would never stand with an anti-Zionist who calls for the dismantling of the of the government of, of the state and the nation of Israel. Who called, because basically what you're saying is now our people inside the government inside Israel needs to be ethnic cleansed. Keep in mind there's Arabs in Israel that are Israeli. We got ethnic Jews in the open better Israel. We have Druze. We have people from India. We have different races and all kinds of peoples and everything inside Israel. Israel mm -hmm. is one of the top most innovative mm -hmm. power nations in the world. Right. To all the Asian nations. 
So there is good that comes from our people like it's supposed to amongst the righteous. My thing is we need to get rid of the ideology of Zionism so that Israel can live up to the ideals of the Torah as it's supposed to. And that also includes because in our Dead Sea Scrolls scriptures and Ethiopian scriptures, we ref- it is referenced that Ishmael is also chosen with Israel. Ishmael and Israel are both chosen people, and that's the position that I hold here. So where can people, uh, is your Facebook full? Do you, you, are you accepting uh, new followers? Absolutely. Anybody can request friendship and or follow. Okay. So your name, his name is, uh, right, Dr. Rabbi Cohen Shalomim Alahawi, is it? Alawi. Alawi. If you'd like to contact him. And uh, I'm just really, again, I'm grateful for all that you share on Facebook because I learn something new every time I read your post. And it said, do you want to give out any phone numbers? Just go to your web, your, uh, do you have a, a website? Yes. Um, we do have a website. Um, we just asked because I own my own service. And so we had to, uh, we was rebuilding and I just activated, put it back up and everything. Still, we got the radio station um, live, but I'm still um, putting up, uh, putting up a section where we, all my articles and publishes and everything. That'll be back on there in the next couple of weeks, but you can still go and listen to the radio station and you can automatically uh, select teachings and everything. It's WICCC Awakening Radio. If you go to Mizrahi, dash Judaism dot hot two dot com. I'll, I can type it in there. Let me see. Yeah, put that in there if you can for us. Yeah, because I think, um, well, again, one of the things we can do individually is stay informed. And it's you people like you who will uh, inform us of tr- the truth and what's really going on. Absolutely. Okay, you get that. And so I want to just encourage everyone to to stay in touch uh, with Rabbi and find people on YouTube who are teaching the truth. And and you have to discern that. I, I love, I watch YouTube all the time and I make comments. And you know what I love about YouTube? I read the comments. While people are talking on YouTube, I'm reading the comments because I want to know where, what people are thinking and how they're responding or reacting to whatever message being given. So I encourage people to do that. Whenever you, um, and here's the, for those of you, I'm putting his um, website up uh, on the chat, where whenever you watch YouTube, read the comments and you'll get an idea of 100% of the people, the comments you read are agreeing with the, the speaker or the conversation. And that gives you kind of a measuring of a stick of what the the uni- people in the pop the, all over the world are thinking because the comments coming from people all over the world, not just the United States. That's what I love about you. So, any final words, uh, Rabbi? We're at the actually, I can't believe it's at the end of the show. Any final words? And thank you to your beautiful wife for showing up and supporting uh, you in this conversation. Well, like I said, both sides are innocent. Everything, because like I said, there's been there's been wars, instigational wars, like surprise young people war, 1967 war, um, and, and and the hate between the two um, 
it, it, both sides, there's, there's a lot of fault on both sides and everything. Because just like the Ashkenazi created the Nakba against the Palestinians, people forget that the Arabs created the Nakba against my people who were all in North Africa, North Africa, and the Arab world and everything, and expelled us out of sheer misinformation because they associated with, but we had nothing to do with it. So when you uh, address this issue, if you're just on the pro-Palestine and just destroy Israel, or you on the destroy Palestine and pro-Israel, taking a stance for either solely, you're wrong. If you don't take a balanced view to this, and try to come up with a viable solution to stop this mess and stop these negative, destructive ideologies. And you just, you got blood on your hands too. And if you're not going to fight for what is right, you're a coward. Yeah, well said. Well said, my brother. Love you so much and you, your beautiful blessings and, and uh, prosperity to you and your family. Keep keep doing what you're doing. I love it. And I share your work all the time with friends and family. So have a beautiful week, and we got to do this again. Let's not wait a whole year. We're, we'll see how things are going in the next six or eight months. And so yes, yes, we got to come back and talk about politics one time. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All Thank right. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on here. I appreciate Shalom it. Shalom and uh, Eric Paul. Everybody, we're going to play our our. Uh, We've come to the end of our show today, but you can hear every show in the archives at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the dash female dash solution. You can also hear today's show on the Female Solution Facebook page. Go to www.facebook.com slash the female solution. Leave your comments about today's show. You can always reach me on my website at www.naimalatif.com. That's www.naimahlatif.com. Watch our TV shows. Listen to our radio shows. Order our books. And be sure to get your copy of the book, The Female Solution. On behalf of our team of radio hosts, I'd like to thank all of you who participated in today's discussion. And to our global family listening from all around the world, we say thank you. To our family in China, Shishé, India, Zanyaba, Japan, Arigato, Korea, Kamsanida, Russia, Spasiba, Germany, Danke, Poland, John Kunyo, France, Merci, Spain, Gracias, Italy, Grazie, Egypt, Shukran, Ghana, Medasi, Nigeria, Eshe, South Africa, Giabonga, Senegal, Jared, Kenya, Asante, Israel, Toda, Pakistan, Shukriya, Afghanistan, Tashakur, Saudi Arabia, Shukran, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Thank you, and may peace be upon you and the mercy of God and God's blessings.
Goodbye. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.